We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one way. What is the other way? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse Sound Insights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon! Yes? How are you holding in there? You, you look a little tired. Well, you know, I've been working 10-hour shifts. It's tiresome, but it's uh, it's good. It's good, honest work. I'd forgotten what that's like. Well, good for you. Yeah. You know, this economy. Although my economy is not the same as your economy. Yeah. Oh, how, how's, how's that? Is Canada, Canada's doing a little better than us, as I understand it. Well, we do fewer stupid things. <laughs> Uh, perhaps, perhaps. Uh, so we have uh, a, a much a smaller show this week. Not so much uh, going on TV. It's uh, the 4th of July. Apparently, half the shows decided they didn't need to have episodes. But we still needed to have an episode. But we did. So uh, we, we, we're we going to have a little shorter week in TV. We're going to look at our spotlight on Louie. But then at the end of the show, we're going to have our uh, DVD shelf segment with Gabe Busco from uh, Mossbury Cinema. And we're talking Batman the Animated Series. Yay! I'm doing a happy dance for the yes, listeners she is. at home. Yes, she is. I just saw it. I can vouch for her. <laughs> um, so, so that was just a lot of fun. Um, and, and, uh, and so that'll be coming at the end of the show. But before that, let's uh, talk about some of our comments. I heard a bunch from you guys this week, and uh, Twitter was incredibly helpful. So thank you guys, whoever, if you, if you follow me on tr- Twitter and you were helping me out this week, because uh, I just got a smartphone. And so uh, I am kind of clueless about apps and things like that. So uh, you guys were very helpful. So thank you so much. And then also we heard from Mario, who is watching Louie for the first time, and he's liking it. So good taste, sir. Yes. Uh, our, honestly, I, I think our our podcasting mission right now is just to get people to watch Louie, because not enough people are doing that. And there's no good reason not to. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, also, he's hooked on Vampire Diaries at this point, so he's—I think—he's just waiting for the next season, the DVDs to come out, so he can catch up before the fall. Um, oh, and Mario also is excited to get caught up with Damages, uh, which is going to be starting its final season here pretty quick. Have you seen any of that? I, I haven't. I've seen the first two seasons, and well, sorry, I've seen the first season, which I loved. Uh, for the most part, season two I got quickly bored with, despite the fact that it featured, God, uh, Timothy Oliphant, William Hurt, Marcia Gay Harden, ridiculous cast, bored me to tears. Um, I think I may have come back for a few episodes in the later season and got bored again. So I don't know. It's, it never seems to enthrall me long enough, except for that first season. Well, I know there's a lot of fans of the damages out there, so if uh, if it's something that you really want us to cover, let us know, and uh, I'll, at least I'll try to dip my toes in, see if I can jump in with season five. I don't know if that's uh, necessarily the the right call, but but we'll see. It uh, probably isn't. Probably not. <laughs> um, no new iTunes ratings or reviews this week, but uh, we do want to again thank everybody who has gone over there and uh, get written up a review for us or given us a star rating. 
um, in the past, getting uh, ratings and reviews does really actually help us out and helps people find uh, the, the podcast, as does, you know, if you want to retweet us out to your friends or, or post us on Facebook, we really appreciate that because uh, we're trying to trying to build up an audience a little bit. We're still, you know, within our first year. Um, but so thank you to, so much to the people who have uh, rated and reviewed, reviewed us in the past. And hopefully we'll get a few more of you guys uh, in the next few weeks. Yes, that would be nice. Um, then we're going to have, uh, some Comic-Con coverage coming up. I'm going to, I'm going to San Diego Comic-Con, uh, actually tomorrow that starts up. Um, and so I'll be doing daily, uh, recaps sort of, of what I saw at the con and what the, the latest news is and all that good stuff. Um, and, and so that'll be coming. I did a, a preview at, over at Sound on Sight. So I have, uh, that up there. If you want to see just a sort of comparison of what all the TV um, you know, programming and panels and stuff are for Comic-Con. You can check that out at soundonstate.org. And I'm going to be going to the Dial M for Meetup party uh, meetup thing that's happening on Thursday night. That's 8 to 10 at the Dublin Square Pub, uh, Irish Pub. So if you're going to be at Comic-Con or in the San Diego area, show up. That's going to be hosted by Battleship Retention, Criterion Cast, and the Warner Archive Collection. Um, and so those three podcasts are sponsoring the, the, the meetup. And they're also paying for all the booze so uh tip your waitresses but if you want you know but but they'll cover the drinks so uh so if you're going to be in the area come hang out meet some cool people and say hi if you're you know if you're going to be at comic-con and you see you know see me walking around my pictures up on twitter um walk over come over and say hi i would love to meet you guys uh so i'm just i'm looking forward to to all of that that you know meeting people of like mind and like interest and all of that, uh, all of that good times that apparently go with Comic Con, and you look a little afraid, just a little bit. Uh, just, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I I just remember going through the Comic Con stuff last week, and I just remember being a bit of a dick about it. But <laughs> I, I uh, I'm glad people enjoy conventions. I guess <laughs> it's well, a, it's it mostly sounds like my personal vision of hell. Well, we'll see. Maybe it'll be mine. This is, you know, my first time. Maybe I'll show up and say, I've made a horrible mistake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see. And you've been writing up the Louis reviews? Yes. Uh, I've been doing weekly recaps of Louis. Um, depending on whether or not I work, they go up on either the night of or the following morning. I'm also starting up on Breaking Bad. Yes, I am hogging the best shows on TV. Deal with it. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, that'll be up. Those will be up again late Sunday or very early Monday, um, depending on whether I have a life or not. Don't don't push me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I'm really excited about doing that. It's going to be a, it's going to be a heated eight weeks, I think. But let's get into our week in TV and we're going to kick it off with Hit and Miss, which is actually a british series but it has started airing on direct tv over here and you've seen the first two yeah there's uh six episodes i've seen the first two episodes um this i'm totally unsurprised to open the show's wikipedia page and discover that uh, it was created by paul abbott uh it's been it was originally broadcast on sky atlantic in the uk it's i believe on direct tv now the whole thing mm -hmm. and um I was totally unsurprised to discover that uh, Abbott had two ideas for two different TV shows and mashed them up into one show because as I was watching this, I mean, it's, it looks great. It's, uh, I mean, Chloe Savini uh, stars in the main role, which I'll talk about in a second. 
Um, so it's brilliantly acted, very nicely written, but it's it's just got about 50% too much premise. Uh, the premise is, in this case, being that um, Savini plays a male-to-female transsexual who is also a contract killer and uh, <laughs> legally legally does not exist. So we've already got quite a lot of premise there. She gets a letter uh, because I'm, so, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a little bit confused about how she got a letter, but anyway... Um, and discovers that she had a son with a former girlfriend back when she was a man. Um, and then she, so essentially she inherits a whole litter of children <laughs> and, um, has to take care of them or decides that she has to take care of them. Uh, she also has this overbearing boss, uh, her sort of overseer in the contract killer universe, and there's a rivalry with, anyway, there's a whole lot going on. Um, I really wish they would have pared it down a little bit. Even if it had just been one kid, uh, that would have been a huge help. But there's a, there's at least three. It's Sorry, it's been a while since I've seen the episodes. Um, and uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'd be curious to watch a little more. There is also something a little bit misery porny about uh, the combination of the setting and just how uh, viscerally unpleasant the kids can be sometimes. Although that you do see that sort of abating a little bit in uh, in the second episode. Um, I, I I may finish watching the season at some point. I don't think it's a great show, but it does have a lot of interesting aspects. Uh, and Savini is really really great. And like I said, it it looks uh, it it's a very classy package for sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, be prepared for a lot of junk. A lot of junk. There is all the th- junk. Th- there is. There's all there's all the junk. There's they shoehorn in as many as many shots of that prosthetic junk as they possibly can. I think they've paid handsomely for it. Well, uh, I'll have to I'll have to check out the junk. Check out the uh, episode, uh, uh, the the first at least the first couple episodes, and uh, I guess report back. See if, mm-hmm. if maybe I guess if I disagree with with your well thought analysis, then maybe I'll do a counterpoint. But but yeah, it's not I. I feel kind of bad, but it's not one I feel any need to rush out and see. Mm-hmm. Well, it's all just sitting there waiting for you. No, oh, I suppose. Then on Wednesday, we had another episode of Futurama, The Thief of, of Baghead, which was a cute look at, at ego and uh, actors and all of that. Um, my main takeaway from it, though, is just I was surprised they actually killed Calculon. I thought that was actually kind of hilarious, the, the timing of that at the uh, the end, just the... Or the makeup of the shot where you just see his dead body in the forefront while everybody else kind of celebrates behind. Uh, do you think they're going to keep him dead very long or do you think they'll just bring him back in the next episode? Oh, they'll probably just bring him back. People don't tend to stay dead on Futurama, really. I mean, that it's not really a show that has a habit of killing characters anyway, so I guess we're sort of in an uncharted territory. Uh, you know, it was it was a cute episode. Didn't exactly outline its themes in a, in a subtle, <laughs> subtle or way. new way. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but it was it was it was cute enough. Yeah, yeah. Then on Thursday we had another episode of Awkward Sex Lies and Videotape, and I really enjoyed this one a lot. I'm curious what you thought though, because it was heavy. It was mega on the love triangle. Um, so I'm I'm curious, what did you think? Because that was one of the elements you were least interested in last week. Yeah, you know, whenever anything like this happens in a TV show, I always just want the characters to call each other up and sit down in a room and say, "Okay, guys." <laughs> Was what's going on? But you know, it's not really an option here because then you wouldn't have a season of television. Um, yeah, 
I felt a little weird about this episode. Um, first of all, I mean, I, I really like uh, Jessica Liu, who plays uh, Ming Huang. Mm-hmm. And she's quite she's featured in this episode maybe more than any other and she's great to watch uh i don't know how i felt about the whole like school asian gang thing that was a little weird felt awkward about that i i i wasn't quite sure while i was watching it i wasn't quite sure if i was supposed to feel like it was kind of racist or not or if it even was or if these were just a couple asian girls because clearly ming wang is asian and she's not one of you know air quotes the asians so that doesn't mean that it's all the asians are like this but i just about about uh, 10 minutes into the episode i decided i just needed to stop being neurotic and enjoy the funny show and uh (laughs) i I thought actually the performance i don't have the name in front of me actually um which is bad on me but the performance of the lead asian i thought was actually really funny the 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 mean girl in in charge of that clique was pretty hilarious just the way that she said um ming wang's name was 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 pretty great so uh yeah i mean i like that uh what did you think about the the mother daughter stuff uh well i'm glad they're sort of advancing that quickly you know they sort of just having her confront her out in the open and i mean it's 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 a really strange plot point in general to Mm -hmm. to have hung a whole previous season around or much of one yeah, I'm I'm glad they're not just dragging that out for another season's worth of denials and cliffhangers and Mr. X, etc. Of course, I'm not very interested in this season's, quote, mystery. I like how flimsy this show's mysteries are. I don't even remember. What is the mystery this, this season? Who is leaving blog comments on oh. her blog? Yeah, I thought she made her blog private. Wasn't she that did. something that happened? How is somebody... Leaving, if it's private, that means nobody else can see it. So how is anybody leaving comments? I hope it just turns out to be spam. That would be hilarious, actually. That would be good. I would enjoy that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think it's another solid episode. I, I'm really enjoying this. Uh, I wasn't that interested in the love triangle last week, but you know, even though this was heavy on that, I still wanted to, if I had a DVD, I would have popped right over to the next episode immediately after finishing. So, I mean, clearly they're doing something right if I'm getting this invested in the show. Well, I think my problem is, I mean, besides the besides the everyone should have a meeting quotient, yeah. just neither boy, neither guy is interesting to me at all. Mm-hmm. They're they're disinteresting to me in different ways. <laughs> um, you know, the current boyfriend is a is just a is just a drip, and a, is I I find his voice viscerally annoying. I don't know if it's just me. Um, <laughs> And uh, Maddie McKibben is not is clearly an idiot. <laughs> that is true. He is. He does not uh, seem like the sharpest tool in the show. Or at least, or, or or at least needs better communication skills. As in, needs them entirely replaced, possibly <laughs> in the form of a different character. Well, um, yeah. I, I know a lot of people are loving. I hear. I'm hearing more people on Team Maddie. Uh, than anything else but uh, so I, people are clearly enjoying that so I guess I think we're out of sync with the average fan base of Awkward. Probably but also the average fan of Awkward is probably 16 and a half. Oh, could be could be uh, but uh, no I mean another episode I'm glad to have it on my Thursdays because as much as I love the FX comedies it's kind of nice to have something that's so different in tone Yeah. so it's nice to have that but that will move us to Wilfred Dignity which is uh, the latest episode what did you think of Wilfred as Office Dog? 
this one was a little off to me. I mean, first of all, I, I spent actually the more entertaining chunk of the episode I spent playing the is that Gary Cole or someone who looks very much like Gary Cole game. Uh, it turned out to be Stephen Weber, who maybe you have some familiarity with. Oh, dude, Wings, of course. Everybody knows Stephen Weber. Uh, he, he popped up on In Plain Sight last year. He's been kind of popping around his guest stars in different places, and I, I really enjoy him, so I'm more aware of him. Apparently, he's uh, he has a strong following on Twitter. He's funny on Twitter or something like that, but I'm familiar with him, so for me, it was I, I enjoyed uh, his performance, but also just the that link sort of to some of his other more rascally, dickish characters. Mm-hmm. Oh, he this this character wasn't enough of a dick for you. No, it's just a kid, he's very good at that. Is what I would mm-hmm. say. The whole plot thread with the mentally challenged uh, janitor, I could have really done without. It kind of seemed like something out of a lesser show. Uh, as per usual, lots of you know semi amusing to amusing dog humor, but it kind of felt like the show spinning its wheels a bit for me. Oh, see, I liked this episode way more than you did then, because I, I just loved Wilfred, his stand-up comedian. But it was hilarious. Do I come into your place of business? And, yeah. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. And I don't know, I guess maybe it's just because I'm around my sister's dog so much that I, I just really identify with uh, a lot of the, that element to that character, which is a, a really straightforward and simple. I mean, that's the premise, right? I should just accept that and expect more from them than the basics of their premise but i guess because it's still pretty new to me because i didn't see season one i'm still Mm -hmm. really getting kick out of okay i'm gonna sneak in hey there's a guy hey there's another guy check it out ryan there's guys there's people you know (laughs) yeah i mean yeah it it, they're they're very good at sort of toying with dog psychology and turning it into a, a, a string of gags I guess I'm just really eager for them to, I mean, the thing that I find the most interesting about the show is its weird sense of mythology, Mm -hmm. and I'm sort of eager for them to get back into that and start messing with our heads again. Well, even just little things like Wilfred calls him, right, at work, so... And he has an icon on his iPhone, yeah. Yeah, and, well, so, but if, so if Wilfred calls him, if it's just a dog and he's imagining the face, Wilfred couldn't have called him, so... Then did he, you know because he doesn't have thumbs so so then did he imagine the phone call so if somebody else was in the room would the phone have like, like things like that I, I I'm betting that at some point in human in recent human history a dog has called someone on a smartphone well I guess you could like bump the 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 thing off the the uh, the phone off the hook and hit a number and it might you know if it was pre set it could happen but. I don't know. Every now and again, you hear about a pet calling nine one one for their owner, uh, but uh, I don't know. So I, I I enjoyed this episode a lot more than you did. Um, what do you think about Elson Mack? I like her. Uh, I don't know. Again, this is someone I think you have more familiarity with than me. Um, I'm surprised they're not doing anything with Rob Riggle though. He's just kind of yeah, around. Absolutely wasted. I'm hoping that they'll give him more to do as the season continues. But uh, yeah, totally wasted so far. Yeah. I'm sure he'll be playing the Rob Riggle character. Mm-hmm. Well, he's very good at it. Yes, he is. It would be nice to you know if somebody would give him some chance to to stretch and do something different. But uh, he is. Maybe very he plays someone who isn't a total tool. <laughs> um, I think Allison Mack is adorable in this. Um, she was pretty much the highlight of of Smallville. At least any of the episodes that I watched, it was her and Michael Rosenbaum were the 
the by far the two best elements to the show for me at least uh so it's nice to see her pop up here in a in a different role and uh to just be so charming because apparently a lot of uh season one is ryan pining after his neighbor yes yes so, so i think i mean i get the just hearing that kind of tires me somewhat it seems like that would get old <laughs> really quickly so i'm i'm very much enjoying you know having this more playful uh romantic interest yeah, but I, I don't like what they do with her this week in terms of they telegraph very obviously what's going to happen with her. Because whenever Wilfred shows up, she kind of grimaces or leaves like she clearly just doesn't like dogs. Yeah, that's and true. <laughs> that's going to, you know, that that's going to be a conflict later. And that's too bad. I, I, I would have liked to see, have seen them go a different way with that. But maybe I'm preemptively complaining. Well, you know, we'll see how, uh, how, how much they uh, can stretch that before it comes to a head. I would... I would like to see uh, our lead character actually in a somewhat functional, normal relationship and seeing how that corresponds with not like outside of her clearly not being a dog person to see how those two things kind of would fight against each other. I think would be pretty fun, but uh, we'll have to see. Mm -hmm. We will. And now let's go on to Sunday and True Blood. Let's boot and rally. Uh, so Vamp Terra, Urfit. Which is Orfeet or something like that, the the fire monster dude he shows freaked. up. Then we have Doug. We have El Cid and Sookie's not hookup and um, Tina Majorino. What did you think? Uh, not enough Tina Majorino for starters. Somebody needs to give her steadier work. Um, I guess she does voice work for Napoleon Dynamite, but that's not good enough. I thought this was reasonably fun. I saw people complaining about it everywhere, and I thought, where have you been the last few episodes? This <laughs> has all been like this. I don't understand what your problem is. Um, the, can I uh, just figure something out? I, I, I feel like what every True Blood fan is waiting for, from what I understand, is just for Russell Edgington to be out and about and killing people. Is that pretty much – is that Probably. accurate? I mean, and, I don't know about everyone, but he was just so much – so gleeful and fun in his season that I'm – and they're also just playing that so heavily – uh, in, in these episodes leading up to it um, that I have a feeling most fans just want to get there already and have him uh, ha have him ripping spines out of people. Right. Uh, so this in this in that case, this episode ends in the most dickish fashion possible <laughs> uh, with, I think, with a combined total of about 20 minutes of screen time of let's go find him. Oh, we're walking to find him. Oh, he's close. Oh, he's really, really close. <laughs> oh, there he is. Pounce over. Like, really? <laughs> I like that every single one of these five episodes is ended with something happening really, really fast, cut to black. Is that just how every episode of True Blood ends or just this season? They pretty much all end with some some form of cliffhanger, usually an action cliffhanger as opposed to an emotional cliffhanger. But yeah. Okay. Well, there don't really seem to be any emotional cliffhangers on True Blood. It just mostly seems to be people going ham. Um, the stuff with the uh, soldiers is still, now that we know what's going on, the least interesting part to me, the fire demon looked kind of corny and I, I'm not interested in fire demons really. They need to get out of that storyline as soon as possible. Cause it's just not, it's just not working. It, t it separates uh, the entire story. So much of the rest of the world of Bonton is connected in, in interrelated to each other. And this is completely off by itself. And so every time we cut to Scott Foley, as much as I enjoy him, it's nice to see him pop up places, but him and, and his character and Terry Belfour, I mean, I, I really enjoy Terry. I like 
his dynamic with Arlene, I think, is really great. But every time it cuts to them, I'm bored, and I am wishing those scenes were over. And also, it's really obvious what's going to happen. It's not, you know, it's not like they're subverting any expectations at all with how that's going. Um, so I just it, this whole storyline just feels like an utter misstep. And you know, they have so much going on; they really didn't need this too. So, uh, I don't know. I did enjoy this episode more than last week, though, I'll say. And I think Doug has got to be one of the funniest uh, things that they've done all season. Just his utter red shirtness was pretty great. Yeah, and just, he, he, you know, he just keeps protesting and they just don't care. They just they all seed. Come on, Doug. <laughs> you know, this is pretty great. Sookie's reaction to Alcide and Eric and Bill's, you know, sn snarking at each other was pretty hilarious, I thought. Um, and I like the sense of humor they, they brought to that uh, as much as it is sort of repetitive and all that. Uh, but for me, I think the my highlight of the episode was Tara. And uh, I really like what they do with her this week she feels much stronger and much closer to her original personality and uh i, I liked i was nervous about that scene with her and jessica just because it didn't i, w I wasn't sure which way it was going to go i kept waiting for tara to just say something bitchy and <laughs> ruin any chance of having any friends ever um, and of course that happens later in the episode but but it was that scene you know was actually i thought really nice um to, mm -hmm. To, to humanize both characters a little bit and to give a window into what they're both experiencing. So I think it's kind of a shame that they're backing away from that so quickly. Yeah. I, I think my favorite part of the episode was the stuff with Lafayette and his sort of like demonic wonderfalls scene. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I like, I, I like Lafayette. He's, he's a good guy or whatever he is. I actually don't understand what he is. What is he? Um, okay. So Lafayette is a medium. Uh, or yeah, and that was sort of like a, a, you know, an ability that just sort of was at the fringes that we kind of found out about last season, and then last season he was possessed and by this bad person who then sucked the 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 bruja from his boyfriend, like that was those like more dark magic badness stuff into. Uh, herself because she was possessing Lafayette at the time and killed the boyfriend that's Jesus yeah his I got head that we part. saw <laughs> and then then was uh killed or, or exercised or, or whatever so that left Lafayette uh with these this bruja stuff going on and it's he has no idea how to control it or any of any of what that stuff is I like that they're bringing back in his crazy mom uh, I think that there's a lot of potential there. I really like Alfre Woodard, so we'll see where that goes. But I, I definitely think Lafayette is one of the strongest characters on the show just because the, the actor brings just so much sass, for lack of a better word, to uh, to to the character that I, I think it gives a nice sense of humor and, um, and fun. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's more dramatic. He's more dramatic this year than he has been in previous, but uh, I still think he, I think he's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I also like the stuff with uh, the sheriff and Jason waking up, being confused <laughs> and naked. And I like that, you know, True Blood is famous for its nudity and, you know, general bloodshed and whatnot. But I like that nearly all the nudity this season has been Chris Bauer. Yeah. 
Like, I'm pretty sure his junk was in there for a second or two. <laughs> it was pretty funny. I, I loved uh, Ryan Quantin's delivery of fucking fairies when he woke up and was just kind of like under his breath as he's walking away. I thought that was hilarious. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with the, the fairies. They've kind of been teasing that for quite a while. Um, so I would like to see, again, that's another plot line that I want to see them get going somewhere, but, uh... The, the only character that I'm really itching to see Russell Edgerton kill is Christopher Maloney's character. I'm really sick of that guy. Yeah, not, like, the, the, the humorlessness of the character was bothering me before. It's just gotten worse. This is an uninteresting character, and Maloney isn't bringing anything to it either. I don't know if he's just being reined in by the, by the directors or the scripts are giving him are just bad but it's not an interesting character and it just seems so obvious what, where that's gonna go i mean it seems at least my theory is that salome is behind uh, is with the sanguinistas and is going to kill him and then russell Algington is going to not be they're not going to want to kill him and that's how they're going to get out of that whole bill and, and eric are going to get staked thing um i don't know it's just uh i wish they would do something with that character yeah well the, they've I don't know. It's just, I don't know why you would cast Chris Maloney in a part that has no real flair to it other than I am sinister and I am plotting. Yeah. And I am religious. Like, that just seems like a really <laughs> weird thing to tap him for. Well, it's a character doesn't have anything, I don't think. I think it's just such a, such a nothing character that it, it's getting, he's getting really old. They need to give him something. Like, what was a character descriptor you would give him other than sinister? I mean, pious, I guess. Um, Except that he's not. He doesn't yeah, believe not this really. stuff. Yeah, so, no. oh, it's... I don't know. Yeah, he's just kind of, kind of scheming, kind of, kind of there. It's too bad. I, 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 I love Chris Maloney. I think he's great. But I, I, you know what? Just somebody cast him in a comedy already. I want to see him be funny. Give him like some he, comedy he's work. He's a funny, funny guy. He's shown he can do drama. Let him do some comedy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, yeah, I'm I'm not as down on, on True Blood as, as some of the haters. But then again, I also don't know what it's like in sort of peak form. So I have <laughs> I don't really have any basis to form an opinion on True Blood, but I've got one anyway. So whatever. Good times. <laughs> Let's move on to the newsroom, the 112th Congress. Now, this episode addressed... Some of our concerns, I would say, from the last episode, it? It, it fast forward through a lot of time. We covered about six months in the course of one episode. So while it's still set in 2010, uh, it's at least a lot further in, <laughs> along in 2010. At least I think it was six months, something like that. Yeah, like made in November or something like that. Yeah. I don't think the, the lady problems in the last episode were as pronounced this week they weren't good uh they were still pretty bad they were they were better though but we really did not like the last episode so even with a couple of these improvements did that help at all in your impression of the of the show or are you ready to be done uh i think this was a smidgen less bad than than last week but not really by much um first of all i don't was i the only one who thought that having mcavoy compare the the 9-11 commission you know sort of yeah. apology to his to apology <laughs> was just insanely smug and just and just such an elevated opinion of himself and nobody said anything about it 
yeah, really true. like my my ideal show would have someone say would have someone just slack jawed in awe of how misguided an idea that was. But no, everyone just thought it was brilliant. I mean, I don't know. I I do appreciate the the irony of of uh, Jane Fonda's casting, but not a whole lot else. I'm Sam Watterson to me. Like I I love the guy, but his performance just goes full on hammy scenery chewing this week and i wasn't really into it um the whole thing with saddling allison pills character with panic attacks uh really do we need that i don't know um and then of course needing to be rescued by uh the former um by the guy who spent some time as an embedded journalist great uh, that's more of what we needed um, yeah, i don't actually remember his name so i'm just calling him new jeremy uh, um which yeah is the, his, his analogous character on on sports well Night. i actually know who he is now uh john gallagher jr because i i, I rewatched a, a movie called margaret which was shot in 2005 and he's in it and he's like a he's a kid so it's <laughs> kind of kind of funny to see him now um, yeah, i remember his name i don't remember the character i remember don's name but i don't remember his name so yeah, in the love probably, triangles that he's the yeah, one who's falling through the crack for me it's probably danny um, but, uh, geez, what else? Um, the whole tea party thing was just so lazy and tired. Like, really? We're rehashing this now? Really? I don't know. This, the whole thing is just, just seems so uninspired and like a, a cheap way to, for Sorkin to seem like he knows what's wrong with your country <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and exactly how to fix it and just reductive and, goes for easy you know sort of like i like i said last week like it 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 takes advantage of 2020 hindsight just way too much and i don't know it, it i don't i just don't feel like it's doing anything dramatically compelling to me and i'm not interested in the mcavoy mckenzie will they won't they unrequited string oh, of there's... girlfriends thing well, that's the, the, the annoying thing about that relationship is that it's not really a will they, won't they? It's a they will, but when? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's a, that's well put. Yeah. And oh, and also, this is really, really, really early uh, in the show to pull out a um, how can I a superior who controls the purse strings wants to fire Will or is threatening to fire Will? Like, come on, that is not going to happen. He's the guy. In the center of the intro, there's nothing that's going to happen to him. It's like, that's that's like the least suspenseful possible plot plot point you could put in now. Maybe in three seasons, if you make it that far, Zorgan, it would work. But now it just looks silly. So I like this episode a lot more than last week. And I mean, I still have a lot of problems with it. But there were spots in this episode where I was just enjoying it. And I wasn't enjoy, enjoying, like, a line and then getting incredibly frustrated at how terribly many of the characters are written. There were chunks of the episode that I actively liked. And so that is a positive sign, I think. Uh, I think a not insignificant part of that may be the fact that I know many Republicans who feel exactly the way Will McAvoy's character uh, is speaking and his reaction to the Tea Party, I know a lot of Republicans who feel that way about the Tea Party. And so I could see sort of them enjoying 
those scenes in the way that I enjoy the West Wing. So I enjoy this. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if that's what the president and the, the people around the president were actually like? And so I can see people, uh, I can see, see that being, oh, wouldn't, isn't that, wouldn't that be nice if that's what journalism actually was like? And that's, if it wouldn't be nice if somebody would actually say this stuff about the Tea Party. Um, so I'm not sure, you know, I don't really want to speak to that chunk of the episode because I'm not sure where um, various political influences in my life are affecting my critical judgment. Um, so outside of that, I think that there are a lot of potential things in this episode that are interesting that could become better or could easily or could easily backtrack and be terrible next week and you know and i think one of those is uh J jane fonda i think it actually while i agree that it there's no way they're going to fire will so it the the question just becomes how much are they going to have to compromise in order to keep him on the show because obviously he's not going anywhere um but i do think it was good to have some sort of reaction from from up top just to continue the air, air quotes whatever reality this show had this you know within this world it has there's no way he could be saying the stuff that he's saying and not be getting a negative reaction from people who own the company mm -hmm. so i kind of feel like they're getting that out of the way i think casting jane fonda was was cool and it was neat to watch her interact with sam waterston he's chewing the scenery to a ridiculous extent i liked finding out that that idiot was her son i thought that was funny maybe an easy joke but still i thought it was funny i think the problem with those boardroom scenes was mostly that they went on too long and that waterson's character is just sort of an idiot in it he keeps saying why am i here why am i here there's only one reason you're here dude of course you know you should know why you're here and it's because they're mad at you because your ratings have gone down and they don't like that you said bad things about the Koch brothers. So, like, mm -hmm. that made him seem very foolish. As for the uh, Maggie and New Jeremy and Don situation, what I would love to see happen would be for Sorkin to keep Maggie and Don together and to show why they're together. I think this week I don't like that they take a cheap shot that you see Don sleeping around when I guess they're technically broken up that day, but... You know, you see Don sleeping with somebody else and then immediately sleeping with Maggie again. Um, so, of course, we're not supposed to like him. But I think what not Jer when New Jeremy says about how they keep breaking up and getting back together so clearly, you know, there it's, you know, I think he's smart to not jump in because then she would just end up leaving him for Don again because her, you know, thoughts on that whole situation are too unresolved. But I wish that he would take a more interesting tact and not just have this good guy bad guy thing well and also can can they maybe give dev patel something to do like yeah he's it, so charming and he's them? so likable but he has nothing to do i will say i like olivia munn in this week again i thought i think she works well with this kind of dialogue and this kind of character and it's nice to see how i'm glad they have some character on the show who is an economist um, even if they don't really get into that very much this week, um, uh, you know, Will is, and all these characters are these amazing journalists, embedded reporters, people who surprise, all this stuff. It's nice to have, you know, that they have a couple other people that they can go to that they've established as various kinds of experts. So it's not just Will always realizing everything. Oh, oh you mean like when he had a 94% conviction rate? <sighs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. More resume Jesus. spewing. <laughs> oh, God. 
Um, but you know, what, what, another thing that bothers me about the show is, you know, a lot of McAvoy's talking points and stuff that comes out in his conversations is this is all, these are all opinions and all facts and all sort of points of view that you could have read in any, you know, all, it, from basically any alternative news source, mm-hmm. you know, at the time. And all they're really doing is appropriating the work of other people and then putting it in this fake mainstream context, which yeah. I don't know. There's something off-putting about that. And again, it all seems sort of set up to to make McAvoy and by extension Sorkin seem really seem like they've got all the answers and 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 are willing to put them out there and, and you know stick them to the man and i don't know it's just there's something really off putting about the whole the whole thing now i asked this question in the pilot i'll ask it again now how much of your difficulties with the show and i'll try to think what my answer to this is would be solved if the next episode was set now or a little in the future or even if it was set like 10 years in the past or 15 years in the past and not so just long enough ago that it's easy to sound like you know everything. Honestly, if it were in the present or involved fake news, things that didn't actually happen, uh, I would like the show a lot more or potentially would. I mean, I don't know how he would handle a present day scenario uh, exactly. It's impossible to know that. But or I don't know, maybe they will jump forward at some point. I have no idea. But I that would certainly be instantly more appealing to me. Yeah, because I think right now the the. There are characters, many of the characters have, especially the core relationships, the romantic entanglements, have a lot of problems. And then when you get away from that, the elements of the show that aren't involving that are all about doing the the real news from two years ago. Um, so it's kind of hard. To, like They have two trouble spots and they very rarely overlap. So, so yeah. you don't really get much space away from one of the two main problems with the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. But uh, so we'll see. Still I, I, watching it? Oh, well, it's too much. It, it, it's fun to talk about and sort of suss out exactly what's wrong with it because there's a lot that's wrong with it, um, mm-hmm. and it's all different. It's all exciting, um, and I'm curious to see if it gets better or worse next week. Yeah, well, apparently it's going to get worse. Of everything that I've read about this show, uh, the all the critics who got the first four episodes, the fourth was the worst. Um, so apparently we're in for lots of, oh, let's, let's, bad let's not hyper, stuff. Let, let's not hype ourselves up. You never know. Maybe it'll be awesome though. Maybe they're all wrong and this is yeah, the maybe. week the show turns yeah. around. Yeah. I want to go into it feeling that way so that when it is awesomely terrible, we can shame it and it's going to, we can come out with pitchforks and torches and really do it up. <laughs> the last show we have is Bunheads Better Luck Next Year. And, uh, yeah, we, we, had, I think you liked the, the last episode a little more than I did. Um, what did you think of this episode and where you see the, the series going? This episode felt really scattered to me. Um, there's a, you know, there's a lot going on with the characters, but none of it seems to relate to anything else. You know, you've got um, Sutton Foster's character sort of trying to settle into the guest house with too much stuff and sort of interacting with the locals a bit. You've got Boo and her sort of image issue coming back and her strange friendship with Sasha. We don't spend any other any time with any of the other girls at all. Um, you've got um, sort of um, you've got Fanny and her and her struggle to get the dance space ready in time and sort of you get a little bit of her background. But it's all just kind of there. Um, the character. I mean, we still don't exactly know 
why we're following all these people, how they how they're going to relate to each other in a uh, in the future. I mean, specifically Sutton Foster and the kids. And there's her dream sequences, which I don't know what those added to the episode at all. <laughs> I haven't had the terrible audition dream, but I can so strongly identify with that experience uh, mm-hmm. from my auditions, my, my, my various auditions. Uh, oh, I remember auditions. So uh, I, I enjoyed that. Actually, I thought that worked. I imagine we're going to get more about that uh, particular director um, as I don't think it's a coincidence that we saw the person's face and that she said somebody's name when she was uh, uh, talking with uh, with with Fanny about the auditions. Um, but uh, and I like this episode. I do agree. It is kind of scattered, um, but it's nice to see that the Kelly Bishop and Sutton Foster's characters are beyond the sniping at each other phase, which yes, is kind of where they were last week. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like the time spent with the kids. Um, I thought the, uh, the stuff with, with Sasha, I mean, again, that character feels a little disjointed, but I feel like she's, I think they, she's supposed to be. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll see where it goes. Uh, and yeah, I think they're doing a pretty good job. So I'm still enjoying you know, it. I- I also wasn't uh, too taken with the writing for the stuff between Boo and her mother. That just seemed like it needed a few more passes in the in the writer's room. I don't know. It didn't it didn't ring true to me at all. Oh, OK. You haven't had that conversation of we could make this food. Oh, I don't want any, but you can have some. Oh, it only has calories if uh, if I make it for you and then eat some because <laughs> I've had that conversation with, with with my mom before when making you know cookies or or uh, muffins or something. Oh, there you go. Maybe I maybe I'm just the maybe I have the wrong gender dynamics in my life to to have made that work. <laughs> no, it, it is it is uh yeah I could I could see that feeling not particularly authentic, but I don't know. There's a it's a similar it feels that relationship feels not dissimilar to Rory and Lorelai. Um, at least in the scene we get with them this week. So uh, we'll see if that continues or if that's just sort of a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, let's, uh, it's, we've went, we've gone a lot longer than I anticipated. Let's take a quick break it's here. always how it is. And come back and talk about this week's episode of Louie, uh, Telling Jokes slash Setup. That was another song whose title I don't know because I can't find the information on the music that they use in Louie anywhere online. Um, but this is the song featured in this week's episode of Louie Telling Jokes and Setup. Um, and uh, last week uh, is a kind of similar sound to the song they used last week. But what did you think of this episode and the, the two parts, how they played together? If you had one that you liked better than the other, uh, what did you think of the follow up to the season one, the season three premiere? You know, if if I didn't know any better, I might think that uh, Louis wrote the setup part of this episode and thought, okay, so I like Breaking Bad. It's coming back soon. I want a holy shit moment to myself. <laughs> I've never had one of those. And 
he he gave us one this week which i was not anticipating um can i just say melissa leo you are my hero can we get married <laughs> she was so so great in this so great uh i i mean it's obvious why he had to, to you know to choose an oscar winner you know someone of her caliber uh, obviously known for homicide as well uh for this part because it's it, it's it's so vividly written and she does it absolute justice she knocked it out of the park um something i found interesting about this episode was uh, it was an interesting one to read about because people picked up on all kinds of different things like uh you know lots of people just stopped at debating for instance the um the ethics of oral sex, if you want to put it that way. And, you know, whether one demands uh, reciprocity in the other direction, which to me was kind of missing the point. Um, Cause I mean, if they wanted, if, if CK had wanted the, the setup part of that, if, if he'd wanted that to be the point of it, he wouldn't have ended it where he did. I don't think, uh, which was in a thoroughly different and much crazier place. Uh, to me, the episode was all about sort of, uh, finding joy and, you know, it's, and pleasure in new and unexpected places, whether it's, you know, your, your kids learning how to tell a joke, which is what the first part of the episode is. And by the way, I'm so glad we got to see her actually delivering the joke in the credits. Cause that was going to be my only complaint about the episode was that <laughs> why did he tell it? Like he was reading my mind. Um, and, um, or whether it's, you know, going off and pick up trucks with strange women who threaten to break your finger if you don't eat them out. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like it's, it's a, it's a loose thread, but I'll take it. Uh, what did you think? I enjoyed this episode. It was really funny. Um, I've heard him talk before, Louis C.K. talk before about his kids telling jokes like this. Uh, and so when he started, when the episode started with that, I thought that was pretty hilarious. Uh, unfortunately, I have to admit, it did take me my second viewing to get the knock, knock, who's there glare, uh, which I thought was <laughs> pretty hilarious. Um, once I got, I felt first, I felt like the one daughter and I felt like an idiot. And then I got it and went, oh, that's hilarious. Um, so, uh, so, so I just, I, that was such, so fun. And I'm so glad they have the same daughter daughters. Yes. They're 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 They were so great last season and I was very pleased to see them come back. And even just outside of, you know, he wants to hold on to good actors playing his kids. I like the fact that the only thing that's significant on this show that uh, recurs are are his kids. Like the brother can change up, the mom can change up and be different actors, but the kids are constant because for Louis, his kids are the most most important thing. Um mm -hmm. In the most important relationship. I think the only other character we've seen pop up twice is what, Pamela Adlin? Well, she's been there four or five times, but yeah. But she's and, the only other, yeah. Yeah, and she's in France, we assume, we <laughs> think. <laughs> Maybe. So, so the, like, there's, like, one other significant relationship and friendship, and you get the impression they've been friends for a very long time. So I like the fact that, that outside of the logistics of trying to find two more kids who are as good as these two, which would be difficult. Um, I like just what that says about the character too. Yeah. And then the, uh, the, the, the second half of telling you, um, of a setup was also, I thought a lot of fun. I liked the, um, that I, I like that this is a show where they will spend 
a minute on on a full minute of the the, the twenty two minute runtime on on Louis driving his motorcycle. It was funny to see that, which back. is still there, it's still there, uh, to go get a bottle of wine and then drive to 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 the place. You know, any other show would cut right to him pulling up at the guy's house. Um, so I, I thought that was fun, and I you just that that's the kind of thing that they spend time at. And it also tells you so much about those two characters, just their approach to the, the wine. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought it was funny. And then Melissa Leo is hilarious. I, I am the man who is here buying wine. Here's me buying wine. Well, it's just, I'm going to stand here. I don't, what do I, what do I get? I don't, I don't know anything about wine. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll get this one. Whereas most... Which is, which is exactly how I shop for wine also. So. Yeah, no, me I... too. Absolutely. Where <laughs> <laughs> most of Leah doesn't even look up from her phone, really. She's like, I really don't care what this yeah. is. Somebody asked me if I need help. I say, no, I'm just browsing, just looking at the wine. <laughs> I feel like if I ask you for help, you'll judge me because I know nothing. Uh, but yeah, no, it's so that, that, you know, little things like that are the kind of thing that I get an extra kick out of. And, uh, and then just the, the, the delivery of the very end of that storyline of, so I'll see you next time, right? Oh yeah, yeah, we're totally going out again. Uh, was, <laughs> was was I, it was hilarious. Well, that was that was really the key to that whole segment. Otherwise, it's otherwise I mean, it's without date rape. that. It would, yeah, without I mean, it still is to be honest. But mm-hmm. um, the uh, without that, I mean, the scene is troubling and confusing and would have I think re- really messed with our heads. I mean, it did a little anyway, but. Um, and I, I just love the way the whole encounter was edited. Like, like just, I feel like uh, p- other people have said this, and I think it's true. This season's a little bit more confident in terms of its visual style mm-hmm. than maybe has been before. And just the way, you know, we cut to an, to this dark exterior shot of the truck at a very important moment, um, <laughs> or several moments, I suppose. Depends on your mileage. Um, and... And also, and just, and the way the actual attack is edited, there's a little bit of a, of a burst of sound. I don't know. I don't know. There's like a horn hit or something when he hits his head against the window and it's so effective. Uh, It's just those little things. Um, And I'm assuming that part of that is from bringing on uh, Susan Morse and Hey, whatever works. Uh, It's, it's been looking and feeling really uh, a little bit more confident even than before. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm looking forward to to next week and what the rest of the season has uh, has to offer because apparently it just gets better. So uh, that that's a good thing. I love watching yeah. the show. If you aren't watching Louie, watch Louie. Yes, yes. Uh, like like we said before, not at all serialized. You can jump in pretty much any time. Yes, every now and again, maybe there will be a two parter, but. For the most part, no. Yeah. Honestly, even if you show up in the middle of the two-parter, I'm sure it's not going to be hard to figure out what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so any final thoughts or you think that pretty much covers it? Uh, no. I'm wondering what the show's sudden fascination is with uh, non-English songs being sung while Louis rides a motorcycle. But, um, oh, I can't believe we haven't mentioned this is the third time Obama has been a punchline on this show. Oh, yeah. See, I didn't even – I saw that in your review and it didn't even really – 
think about that. Uh, I hadn't really noticed it at the time, but I'll have to keep an eye out for that in the future. Yeah, because uh, last season, I'm trying to think of the of the right Louis in his uh, in, in his realtor's office saying, "What about Obama?" <laughs> and then uh, and then of course we got that exact line last week in the in the hospital, and and this week we got <laughs> Melissa Leo complaining about about how there are no more gentlemen in Obama. <laughs> Oh, good stuff. Uh, what is he trying to say? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh well. Let's let's uh, hit up a few show notes before we go to our DVD shelf segment. Uh, the intro and outro music is "Sweet Petite" by the Bicycles. This will be up streaming at soundonsite.org, where you can leave us comments. Please let us know what you're thinking of these episodes, and if there are any other uh, summer shows that we have not been covering that you're interested in. Uh, for example, I know Eric McCormick's new show "Perceptions" started up this week on TNT, and there's probably some other ones that we haven't checked out. So let us know if you want us to at least watch a couple episodes of those. Um, also, you, this will be streaming up at Current TV, and the, we have an M4A chaptered feed as well as an MP3 unchaptered feed in iTunes. Really, I don't understand why anybody listens to the MP3 feed unless it's just because their particular technology doesn't like M4A, because I don't know. What, I, I would always listen to the chaptered feed. Um, maybe. I mean, I have a... I actually ha- also... I have an, a weird MP3 player that doesn't play M4As. I don't think so. I I understand. <laughs> um, but I you... sympathize with you, you the the luddites of the world. <laughs> so uh, you can find us in iTunes. There, uh, we would appreciate it very much if you wanted to leave us either a rating or a review there. Um, also, we are on Twitter. You can reach me at the Televerse, and you at I'm at Sucker Howell. And you can also send us email. We are the Televerse at gmail dot com. And I think that's that's about it. How about uh, for our our question to send it away with i will instead of prompting you i'll i'll come up with one here how about we ask people about their favorite batman the animated series villain because that's gonna tie in with our shelf what do you say sure why not who's your favorite batman villain i i, I just got the prompting from you so now i'm repeating it <laughs> um so uh so yeah so then uh to transition next we have our DVD shelf segment with Gabe Busco from Masterpiece Cinema talking about Batman the Animated Series and uh, it's a little bit of a love fest. Uh, you kept you kept it a little more professional. I I just kind of started gushing, but I think it's pretty fun. So uh, that's up next. So I hear you know who nailed the Mad Hatter last week. No kidding. He sure gets around for one guy. Yeah, well that's where you're wrong. I don't think it is one guy. Huh? Well, yeah, I figure it. Gordon's got a bunch of them stashed someplace like a SWAT team. Well, you know what I think? Not the robot theory again. Well, he could be. Hello, boys. Get me an herbal tea and deal me in. I don't think so. Risking everything for your kitty, Batman? You're not getting out of this one. Maybe. But I'm not bad with traps myself. Thanks for coming after me. I owed you. Well, I'd like to think our relationship isn't just restricted to saving each other from freaks and weirdos. Maybe.
We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we are channeling my childhood because here to help us talk Batman the Animated Series is Gabe Busco from the uh, Masterpiece Cinema podcast. Gabe, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, and I'm not even going to pretend like, uh, you know, like wait until a little later to say my thoughts on it. I love this show. Uh, so with that, we're just going to start the whole discussion off with that. Gabe, why did you decide to pick Batman, Batman the Animated Series, for the show that you wanted to talk about? Uh, well, it's uh, my favorite show of all time. Um, just any show, period. Uh, it's the show that I grew up with. And uh, I had a, a VHS tape that was about a six-hour tape uh, with a bunch of episodes with commercials and everything. But I must have watched it over and over again and, and just wore out the uh, magnetic strip in it. Um, and then uh, when they started releasing the individual volumes uh, a couple years ago, I started watching those from the library and really got back into it. I hadn't seen it in a couple years. And um, then uh, I think in 2009, 2010, they re Warner Brothers released like a complete series package. Um, and so I got that for Christmas. And, uh, and I've been through the whole series a, a couple times. It's just a, a great show, and I just love Batman so much. Um, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> well, you mentioned growing up with it, and that's exactly the relationship I have with the show. When I was when I was little, on Saturdays we always had music lessons, and so I couldn't watch Saturday morning cartoons. Um, but I figured out the, how to work the VCR so that I could record Batman and watch it when I got home because. It's just, it was such a fantastic show. It was that and sometimes Spider-Man, but the other big one for me was X-Men. So Batman and X-Men, I would come home from rehearsals and, and practice and all that stuff and, and, and get my get my comic book fixed. But it, I mean, watching, watching it back now, I was pretty confident that it would hold up. It's been a while since I really sat down and watched a bunch of it. Uh, but I'm glad to say that I think it does. I think it's just such, so visually striking and the, the writing so perfectly fits both the character of Batman and then this world that they cre they've created both visually and orally. It's just it's it's Batman the way that Batman is supposed to be, and so I just I love I love this show. Uh, Simon, maybe you can balance it out a little bit. <laughs> did you, did you grow up with uh, Batman the animated series like we did? Uh, well, when I grew up, it was around. And I definitely did I, – I remember catching a lot of promos for it. But the thing is, as far as WB mid-90s cartoons go, I was really always more of an Animaniacs and Freakazoid guy. So, you know, I, I would always catch on Saturday mornings the promos for Batman and X-Men. Like, I, I have fairly vivid, vivid memories of those. But I was always more into the absurdist humor side of things, especially Freakazoid, which I think is still one of the most insane things ever to be programmed for children. But I, I'm sure we'll get to that at some point in the future. Uh, watching Batman now, I was surprised that I didn't actually seem to remember any individual episodes. Like I, I, I didn't have any, any flashbacks to my childhood watching these. Uh, but I did find them for the most part fairly enjoyable. I, being someone who didn't grow up with it, I don't think I'd choose to watch it a whole lot, but I do think there, uh, I watched about a dozen episodes, uh, to prepare for this. And most of them came from, uh, sort of best of lists, things that people had, had collated and a couple that I just sort of guessed would be interesting. And for the most part, I, I, I had a good time. Well, I think it's telling that you watched 12 because for, you know, this for, to talk about most cartoons geared towards kids, uh, especially um, in the 90s, I think they had somewhat of an idea of what that market was worth. But I think 
in the past, you know, 10, 20 years, that's just increased exponentially. So now there's a lot of programming out there uh, for kids. But at the time in the 90s, you know, at least I felt like a lot of the shows that were on, you wouldn't need to watch 12 episodes to get in this, a sense of what it was, or you wouldn't necessarily want to. And so the fact that, you know, this wasn't, you know, I, at least I would guess for you, this wasn't a, oh, God, I better watch another one situation. No, it wasn't a luck situation. <laughs> no offense meant deluxe fans. It's it's just such a, a fun show. And I think it, the biggest thing for me with this show is that if, as a as a fan of of Batman, just the idea and the character that I had kind of grown up with having older brothers, seeing this take on the character, I think, was what cemented that love of that character in me. And I wouldn't be surprised if a, a not insignificant part of Christopher Nolan's uh, take on Batman, the the trilogy, of course, which will be finishing the summer, is so widely uh, appreciated, not just because they're good films, but because a generation of people grew up with this kind of darker Batman as their norm. Well, if, if we're, if we're talking about darkness level, I mean, the, the cartoon strikes me as being somewhere in between the sort of total off the wallness of the Joel Schumacher slash Tim Burton years. And, you know, but, but then again, not really approaching the, uh, the darkness of, especially the, uh, the dark Knight. Um, there's still some silliness on the show for sure. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of puns and, you know, <laughs> obviously you've got the penguin and killer croc and these very fantastical characters. Uh, on the other hand, the, especially the, the art design is, is quite, um, is quite striking in its, in its gloominess. And even though I mean, there's there's a fair number of gags per episode, but it's still it's it's not quite as off the wall as the uh, as the films that preceded the series. I do. I would agree, um, Simon, that this is sort of you're, you're right. It doesn't reach the darkness of of the uh, of the Nolan, especially, you know, who knows what the next one will bring. But what we saw with with the interpretation of the Joker in uh, in in Dark Knight. But actually, for me, while I love Heath Ledger's performance, I can't usually decide if I prefer the joke, that Joker and his take on it or Mark Hamill's because just to, to, I guess, transition into the characters, I love their take on so many of these classic uh, villains, but particularly the Joker. And we got to talk about Harlequin um, in, in this show are fantastic. Uh, Gabe, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, uh, Harley Quinn, I, I love her and um, I love Mark Hamill's Joker. Um you know, it's it, it is really hard to compare all the different versions, um, even just the different versions of Batman. Um, but I think that, uh, yeah, just so many of the versions in the animated series of the different villains and, and the rogues gallery are the definitive takes for me. Um, I just love uh, Mr. Freeze, obviously, mm-hmm. and uh, the Riddler. It's a great version of the Riddler. Um, it's nothing like the one in Batman Forever. Um, <laughs> It's just, yeah, it's just because it's always, they always have these incredible backstories for the villains that really make you a little bit more sympathetic to them. And it isn't just, you know, oh, this is their plot of the week. This is their plot of the week. Um, Normally when they introduce like the first Riddler episode, you see how he becomes the Riddler. Um, The only person they don't really do that for is the Joker, I think, because since he was the one that launched uh, the Tim Burton movie, they just kind of use the same backstory. I think in one of the episodes, they make a reference using even the same character named Jack Napier that uh, Jack Nicholson had. Um, and uh, 
Yeah, so that's the only one they don't really bother giving you a lot of backstory, or they don't even do, like, an animated version of the origin of the Joker in a flashback or anything. One of the things that I find particularly interesting, actually, is the the fact that they do reference his other, uh, one of the other backstories for the Joker as a stand-up comedian. Um, and so I, I think that's, you know, that they, that's in one of the episodes as well. And yeah. so I think that's, you know, they have a little fun with the history there, too. I find the I, – I, I didn't see too much Joker action in the episodes that, that I saw, but I find that all this attempt at uh, you know maintaining continuity with the film is confusing because in the first Batman movie, Harvey Dent's played by Billy D. Williams and <laughs> has no Two-Face connection. And then he's on the cartoon and obviously he's Two-Face. Well, and Then, then he's, he's Tommy Lee Jones too. And Yeah, and then he's Tommy Lee Jones. It's, it it's a mess. Yeah, and Two-Face I think is one of the, the characters that – I mean, I guess the biggest change is probably Mr. Freeze, and and I I love Mr. Freeze in in this. You know, this is what Mr. Freeze should be. This is why I was so annoyed by Schwarzenegger's take. Um, I think there's many reasons to be annoyed with Schwarzenegger in <laughs> in that film, even if you're not a comics purist. But I, I like the legwork that they put in with Harvey Dent on the show. They don't jump in to to him being two faced. They give you what a solid at least half a season of him just as Harvey Dent. Yeah, which I think really helps establish the link, uh, you know, friendship between him and Bruce Wayne, because in all the subsequent Two-Face episodes, um, like even toward the very end of the series, there's a a stretch of episodes which are kind of like the second chance episodes where, um, you know, the Riddler, Harley Quinn, Two-Face, they all like are released from Arkham during their episodes and then they get like another chance to start over. And it's always a question of are they going to fall back to their old ways are they going to go crazy again? You know, did they ever really become sane? Um, and the uh, the Two Face one, it just it always plays up the same thing with his relationship with Bruce Wayne. It's a very personal villain for Batman, and he's always trying to to see the good in him. And I, I think as long as that that other half of him exists, he'll never be able to completely believe that he's he's a, a villain. Um, so I, I just think that's so fascinating, and uh, I love the Two Face two parter. It's one of my favorite. Uh, episodes of the whole show i've watched it a bunch of times i just love the it's just so tragic and um i think the way that they introduce at the beginning that he already has kind of a split personality uh and has this like angry side called big bad harv before he even becomes uh scarred with the acid i think it is just a great psychological twist and they they were always doing things like that always trying to ground it in some kind of logical psychological um break you know whenever they turn into villains um which is just great well, and in, in that episode alone, it's that's not the only uh, the handling of that character is not the only uh, more mature aspect to that story. I love when we get Bruce's dream, uh, where he's he wants to save Harvey, but it's already too late, and he falls and says, "You didn't save me," and then it cuts to his parents saying, "Why didn't you save us?" And they don't stop to say, "Oh." Bruce, we're your parents. Why didn't, you know, they just assume that you know, and if you don't know, then it doesn't really matter. But I love the maturity that they, you know, approach the series with and, and the characters with, and also the amount of respect they show for the audience. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, they're always doing things like that, though. It's just such a smart show. Um, like, everybody that I, I've introduced it to, even in the last couple of years since I've had the complete series box set, I always get the same reaction uh, you know, oh, it's it's a cartoon show. And really, you know, is it really like that good? And they just kind of narrow their eyes and they're always very skeptical. And then I sit down and I show them a couple episodes and they immediately just, 
you know, start saying, oh, wow, this is just really mature for a, a kid's show. Like, you know, was this really on Saturday mornings on, you know, Fox Kids? And, and I'm always <laughs> like, yeah, you know, it's this is real storytelling. Like, this is what all children's television should aspire to be, um, just television in general. Like, they don't dumb things down, and uh, they it, the episodes are just so artistic with the production design and the animation. Um, yeah, it's just every every single episode feels like a, a short story. They always have those title cards at the beginning um, that have different, you know, artwork to put you in the mindset and different fonts for the titles of the episode to sh- you know, let you know what the themes are going to be of the episode and kind of tell you how to feel uh, when you're going into it. It's just so great. I love it. In terms of maturity, I something I noticed, I don't know if anyone else did, is in that first episode on Leather Wings, I think it's called, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of a clever uh, pilot because you've got Batman and sort of a man bat as well. Is that actually called man, man bat? bat? Yeah. Okay. They never actually say it in the episodes. I wasn't sure if it was canon or not. Anyway, uh, sorry, I'm, I get impatient with comic book types. Anyway, <laughs> um, I noticed that in that episode, he, Batman and Man Bat get in a tussle, and he's actually a little bit bloody, which I didn't notice happening in any of the other episodes. I'm wondering if it's something they got away with once, and then the WB was like, no, don't do that again. I'm pretty sure that's the case. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of fights. There's I think actually the sound design for the fights is pretty pretty darn good too. Lots of lots of bad guys shooting guns. Batman will use a gun to fight like to like you know push somebody in the stomach with the butt of a shotgun that they've been using, but he never shoots a gun. Um, but there's there is a lot of violence, but you don't really get blood. You do get disfigurement and explosions and. But uh, but after and he's that, not afraid to punch women. I should mention. Yeah, yeah, and that's actually it's sad that that is you know, something that I noticed. But absolutely, there's there are so many strong female, uh, both antagonists and also protagonists. I think because I I really enjoy Selena Kyle. It's one of the things I'm looking forward to in in the new the new Batman movie. Hopefully, I'm hoping they do her right on like that travesty of a Halle Berry movie. Um, <laughs> Anyways, uh, but but you have Poison Ivy, you have Harlequin, you have well Talia Al Ghul. You're not quite so well formed, but in general, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, but Talia Al Ghul sucks. Like I, I watched that um, that two parter, The Demon's Quest. Is it was that what it was called? Yeah. And it you know there's a lot of interesting stuff in there, but Talia Al Ghul is just a sucky character. But one of the other things they managed to get right, in my opinion, at least, is is Batgirl and Robin. It's so easy to hate those characters, to have them be so obnoxious. But I think they get it right. And again, with uh, in Batgirl's case, they introduced Barbara Gordon a while before she becomes Batgirl. And if mm-hmm. you're a fan of the comics, you kind of know, oh, like, that's Barbara Gordon. You know, maybe she's going to become Batgirl. It's like a little bit of a tip-off. But they spend a lot of time in, in episodes just kind of developing her character um, and showing, you know, how quick-witted she is and able to think on her feet and help out even before she dons a costume so that once she becomes Batgirl and she starts helping them out, um, it's it's a much more natural transition than, oh, there's like another, you know, fighting teenager. And <laughs> just, uh, it doesn't seem like too much. It seems like a natural addition um, to the team. I still don't like Robin. I don't like Robin <laughs> in any iteration. I, he does nothing for me. He's just a little a little Tintin running around making everything a little bit too pleasant. Well, did you watch uh, the Robin's Reckoning Part 1 and 2? No, the, those ones I didn't catch. Does he die? 
definitely say check those out because uh, they do, um, even though Robin's already part of the team, they have flashbacks showing, you know, how he uh, was adopted by Bruce and everything. And uh, that that's kind of like their attempt to show the Robin origin story. And uh, I think it's pretty good. And unless it involves wanton bodily harm to Robin, I don't <laughs> think it's going to save him for me. <laughs> Well, it's a common, you know, it's a common thought about Robin. There's a reason that the the readers of the comic book voted to have him die when they uh, left it up to the audience back in the day. Uh, but maybe I think this is a good time to transition to talking about the production of, of the show. Because it's, you know, looking up on uh, Wikipedia, the episode list, I was trying to, you know, to see which episodes to watch. Should I watch the pilot? It's incredibly confusing. Uh, just the the production side of things. There's what sixty or sixty five episodes in the first season, and then there's twenty, but that's kind of split up over a couple of years. And then the show changed to the Adventures of Batman and Robin for its second year. Or it, it's it's very confusing to me. Gabe, can you save me a little bit here? Yeah, well, they got an initial batch of sixty five because I think at the time that was the standard um, syndication for like children's television. And so they produced that, and it was really successful. And, you know, some of the characters were really popular. Like, everybody wanted an, another Mr. Freeze episode, another episode with Baby Doll, um, et cetera. And so they um, did this, another <laughs> batch of 20 episodes. But, yeah, it was called The Adventures of Batman and Robin because, you know, the little kids loved Robin as, like, a surrogate for them. You know, they pictured themselves as Robin, like, helping Batman out. And so... Uh, yeah, it had a new – if you watch those episodes on the DVDs, it has the, the new uh, opening credits, which isn't very good and doesn't compare at all to the classic uh, opening credit sequence. And, um, and it, again, it's just – it's bringing out a lot of the same villains from the first batch, only they just kind of come in for return things. And it's much more of the, you know, uh, bad guy of the week, case of the week. Um, it doesn't – it doesn't really compare to the stuff in the, the first season – and then once they did a new animation style, when they had the new Batman Adventures, um, then it completely changes. Um, and a lot of those episodes aren't that great. There, there are a couple like little gems in there, but uh, they added uh, Tim Drake and uh, Dick Grayson becomes Nightwing instead of Robin. Batgirl is a permanent addition to the team, so it just it just becomes really cluttered. Um, so yeah, I. I don't, like if you're looking at the individual DVD box sets, there's volumes one, two, three, and four, and uh, a lot of volume three has the Adventures of Batman and Robin ones. Like it'll bounce from episode to episode, and the opening credits will change. But then volume four is the one that has the new Batman Adventures. So if somebody's thinking of watching these episodes, I would definitely avoid volume four until you really become a fan of the show and you're willing to kind of test the waters a little bit with with those other episodes for for me if it doesn't have that what they described as dark deco so art deco but dark because it's you know batman if it doesn't have that dark deco look it's it's not batman the animated series because i just so strongly connect that visual sense to what this series is i also noticed that i mean I, again i only saw about a dozen episodes but i noticed that if someone took away Batman's utility belt, it usually meant it was a better episode. <laughs> yep, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, one of my favorite unsung episodes, I'm not sure if you guys watched or not, probably not, but uh, it's called The Forgotten. Mm -hmm. And um, it's an episode where Batman is kind of investigating. There, there are all these homeless men that keep getting abducted from Gotham. 
and he starts investigating it and he dresses up as a homeless man and he ends up uh these guys who are coming like disguised as dog catchers uh beat him up and capture him and he ends up in this like mining camp on a chain gang and he because he got hit in the head he's suffering from amnesia and so he befriends a couple of the other workers and he basically has to survive only on his like physical strength and it's just a really interesting examination of like Bruce Wayne as a person and how you see like his fundamental goodness, even when he doesn't know that he's Bruce Wayne and doesn't remember everything about Batman. And um, and Alfred also has to track him down in the Batwing, which is kind of a fun subplot. It's just a really interesting kind of different episode. And again, it's just a, a case, like you said, of watching a huge batch of episodes instead of just watching one and feeling like you know the show. I mean, that episode is a complete departure from everything else. You know, it's a one-time villain who doesn't have any kind of weird qualities. He's just a foreman who's, you know, kind of big and has a lot of uh, thugs working for him. Um, and it's a chance to examine Alfred and, and Bruce Wayne's characters in more depth. Um, there's another one called Perchance to Dream. Did anybody watch that one? Yeah. Yeah, I love that episode. What did you think of that one? Oh, I mean, it's it's a lot of fun. It's it's another, it's a quasi-amnesia situation just in that, that he's in an alternate reality, basically. Um, but... I mean, there's a lot in, in the episode that really worked. Again, I think I think this is a show that knows how to use its 22 minutes well, um, because it's it's tightly paced and and it really sets up. It gives you so much information about the character of of Bruce Wayne and letting you see him with his. It, it, the The plot of the episode is he's going after the Mad Hatter and then he gets knocked out or something and he wakes up and Alfred doesn't know who Robin is and his parents are still alive and he's engaged to Selena Kyle and 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 um and someone else is Batman. So it's it's a really interesting uh episode while you watch him figure out what's what's going on. But it, again it's another one that you know the the Mad Hatter comes back as I understand yes a few times. Yeah. Yeah, so he's a recurring villain, but most that's not what the episode is about. The episode is about how does Bruce Wayne function without Batman, and it's I think it's really interesting. I actually watched that one as well. It's it's a good one, although it has this strange tension to me where it spends the first you know five sixth being this really interesting sort of psychological portrait of Bruce Wayne, and then the Mad Hatter shows up. <laughs> it's like all right, so I guess there goes the psychological aspect <laughs> well and uh, of course as i predicted before we started recording we're running long uh but that's another one of the things like about the show they go deep into the rogues gallery and yes certain of the villains recur uh several times like your jokers and penguins and two-face and all of that but you also get you know the the clockmaker you get uh you get Scarface, you get, uh, you get a lot of the people, the characters that are the villains that a lot of the uh, fans of either the Adam West series or the, or, or the movies would have no idea who they were. And uh, so that's one of the things I think it really gets right. Yeah, I mean, and they create a lot of characters, like, obviously Harley Quinn was created for the show, and she's now, you know, the, the best-selling Arkham City video game just got an expansion pack called Harley Quinn's Revenge. Like, she's that popular of a character nowadays. Well, and I couldn't think of another example. Correct me if I'm wrong, if you know, Gabe. Can you think of another example of a character who was introduced in a spinoff or remake show like this and then was so popular and so well, you know, created, crafted that they put it 
put her into the original continuity? No, I mean, Nothing I springs to mind. Yeah, first was kind. Of, I mean, and even the Mister Freeze episode, that backstory was created for that episode, and then mm-hmm. they later used it, obviously, to horrifying effect in Batman and Robin. Um, but even in Batman Forever, the whole Two Face having that relationship with uh, Bruce Wayne. I mean, I think you know if you watch the first two Tim Burton movies, they, you know, uh, in the first movie with Billy Dee Williams, as you mentioned, like there's really not an interaction between Harvey Dent and Bruce Wayne. They don't mention that they're friends. Um, whereas in Batman Forever, it's very clearly established that they knew each other, and it has that same kind of you know Batman is trying to get Harvey Dent to come out of the Two Face shell and kind of turn good again so that he can seek uh, medical attention. Um, so I think they influenced that in a lot of ways for the the, the second two movies. Um, the second group, I mean, the Schumacher films. So. Yeah, definitely. Well, do you guys have any other uh, specific favorite episodes or maybe Simon for you most surprised by? Uh, well, I I appreciated the episodes that just went totally off format, like Almost Got Him is a lot of fun. That's mm-hmm. often often cited as a favorite. Uh, POV as well is uh, is interesting, although I, I, I it kind of feels like the result of some disgruntled police officer writing the show and saying, you make us seem important, impotent and, and useless. How about you give us give us cut us a little bit of slack here? Uh, but it, but it's still a, a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh... Like I said, the the Forgotten is one of my favorite ones that I don't think a lot of people um, put high on their list, but maybe it's just, you know, a childhood favorite of mine. I also like uh, I've Got Batman in My Basement, which is an interesting episode. Another kind of just like departure. Um, That's a good one. And uh, Beware the Great Ghosts is great with uh, Adam West. West. Surprise guest star. Very good. I just want to mention also that because of the forthcoming film, I decided, hey, I'll watch this Bane episode because... You know, why not? It's not very good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Bane, Bane is really huge in the comics, and I guess they couldn't get all of them right when they, you know, were, were, were making the, the new episodes, or the in the 90s when they were making the show. They couldn't transition all of the characters and make them better. Yeah, I, I mean, I got the little nods to the comic, and, you know, I will break you and all that. It was cute, but the, the whole thing was just super anticlimactic. Well, at least he talks in the show. In the in the movie, all he does is just kind of gurgle and growl and nod at Uma Thurman. Oh. That's oh. true. Yes, I'd forgotten oh about that God. version of Bane. Let's let's not talk about the Uma Thurman poison ivy because this poison ivy I love. <laughs> that poison ivy is just strange and wrong. Um, I really like enjoy the team up of Poison Ivy and Harlequin. It's been a while since so I w- wasn't able to get to. Um, Har- uh, was it Ivy and Harley or something like that? Harley and Ivy is the name yeah. of the episode. Um, but I remember that one being really good. So if my uh, if memory serves me correctly, uh, that's another one to to check out. Uh, but yeah, I would definitely you know just repeat what you guys the episodes you guys have listed as well. It's pretty great. And then also we should I should want to mention um, Mask of the Phantasm and Sub-Zero, which are the, the spin-off sort of films that they made. I haven't gotten to Sub-Zero yet, but Mask of the Phantasm is awesome. Yes, Mask of the Phantasm is, is an amazing movie. I love that. And again, that's one where I've shown, I just showed it to somebody a couple weeks ago because um, they were trying to watch you know all the other Batman stuff again before the, the new movie comes out. And I said, have you ever seen this? And they were like, oh, no. And I was like, well, you know it's released theatrically, so technically you have to watch it. And... Uh, <laughs> And again, they, you know, were really resistant at first, like, oh, it's only an hour and 10 minutes, like, 
cartoon, blah, blah, blah. And then they ended up liking it, uh, I think, a lot more than, obviously, the Schumacher films, but even uh, the first Tim Burton movie, they said. They liked it a lot more than that. So, it's, it's again, it's just great storytelling. And they do include a little bit of a twist with the, the Joker's backstory in there, which I think is great. Um, yeah, it's, it's just uh, Kevin Conroy, to me, will always be Batman. I just, I love... Uh, his interpretation of the character. And I'm so happy they brought him back for the Arkham Asylum and Arkham City video games as well. Mm -hmm. Even just for the way that they do Bruce Wayne, even just the fact that even as Bruce Wayne, he's enormous. You know, it's not like yeah. he, his his body shape is exactly the same when he's Bruce Wayne. He's just in a like not particularly fitted suit due to the, the time period that it's set in. Um but but you know just it's it's great I, I love it. Um, but I guess we should move on to uh, I guess do you guys want to do favorite characters or you want to move on to final thoughts? Uh, well, my my favorite character slash final thought I, I I really do appreciate what they did with Harvey Dent in the in the two parter at least that I saw. I mean even in even in the Dark Knight I mean Aaron Eckhart does an amazing job and I I think he's awesome but he's just by the d design of the film he's not really the focus so. He's he's more sort of an inst an instrument of the Joker, and so he doesn't really get that much of a spotlight. And he's done justice here in a really nice way. Gabe, yeah, I mean, I think uh, Two Face is also probably my favorite villain. I mean, I think if somebody's sitting down to watch the show for the first time, they need to watch uh, the Mister Freeze episode, Heart of Ice, which is uh, it won an Emmy. It's a, it's a great episode, and I think uh, the Two Face two parter is also great. But I think uh, there's also um, a graphic novel that Paul Dini and Bruce Tim, the, the two basically main creative people on the animated series wrote, uh, called Mad Love and Other Stories. Um, and they actually ended up adapting Mad Love, which is the Harley Quinn origin story into an animated episode later in the new Batman adventures. Um, but I would recommend definitely like checking that out at your local library, Barnes and Noble, what have you, um, because there's a, a really short eight page two face story in the back that is uh, is great and is one of my favorite just Batman villain interpretations ever. Um, it's a really cool little story, and uh, all the other two Face episodes I love as well. It's just a lot of really interesting storytelling. It's great. So, yeah. yeah. As I said, I, I love all the women on the show. I think they're for the most part. Well, we can skip over Talia, but for the most part, the women are fabulous. But the the single favorite character that I was most reminded of how much I enjoy him is Alfred. Just so just like Sahara Desert dry and I love it. Yeah, he's so great. I mean, even uh, like I said, he's great in that episode The Forgotten, so I definitely recommend checking that out and uh, he just figures into the plot sometimes in the strangest ways like obviously the climax of the Mr. Freeze episode with the, the chicken soup. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <And all laughs> it's, it's so great. Yeah, he's just... Oh. Yeah. That's so corny, but I still I still enjoy it. That that's something a show that wasn't geared towards kids couldn't get away with. Um, but I give it to them because it's it's that that thing Spielberg said, of course, about Jaws. If I have them for the first two hours, I can do whatever I want in the last two minutes. That's definitely what that's what that chicken soup gag is um, for me and Mister Freeze. <laughs> um, and then I guess for me, Gabe, do you have any final thoughts? No, I mean, I think that's it. I mean, yeah, I just, I would say to anyone uh, who hasn't seen any of episodes of the show or just hasn't watched it in a while, definitely check it out before the, the new Christopher Nolan movie comes out. Um, it's just a, a great show. You know, there's something in there for everybody, I think. I think everybody could find, you know, one villain story that they really like. 
And uh, yeah, and uh, like parents, you know, show it to your kids if they haven't seen it yet. It's it's just a great show. So. Oh, great entry drug, entry level drug to get your kids to check out some uh, some Batman, some superheroes. If if they're you know if you're not sure how to start them in, this is a good way to do it. Um, and then I guess for me, the final thing I'm gonna say is we have to talk about how amazing the music is. The yes. opening theme, credit theme was written by uh, was written by Danny Elfman. He originally passed on it, and so they hired somebody else to do it. Um, but but then decided he wanted to anyway. So so he composes a version of this theme that he had used in Tim Burton's films uh, film. But uh, it's just fantastic. And and then the, what I find most interesting is that the scoring throughout the series is just I think almost universally fantastic, and it's. It's just such, it's a full orchestra, it's jazzy, and then it's really intense, and it it just jumps around from style to style as appropriate, and I love it. But what I find most interesting is that there isn't a single creative voice behind the series. Uh, there, wasn't, there wasn't a single composer who stayed with the show the whole time. They, have, they had, I think, I don't remember the exact number, but they had several different uh, composers, almost even for every season. Yeah, I mean, I think the main one would be Shirley Walker, who created like a lot of the most memorable themes. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, that's another cool thing about the show is that when you watch, you know, the first couple uh, Two Face episodes, they introduce the Two Face theme, and then you know, you could be watching the show two or three years later as a kid, and then the next Two Face episode that comes on, you hear that music again, and you know who it is. I mean, that's something that they only really do in movies, um, mm -hmm. creating those kind of superhero themes. I think that's a, a remarkable thing to do like every villain has their uh, individual little music cue and it's just it's great yeah absolutely so gabe thank you again so much for coming on where can our listeners find you online uh well the best place is probably on twitter uh, my handle is at gbusco g-b-u-c-s-k-o and then i appear on the masterpiece cinema podcast as you mentioned on sound on site it posts uh, every saturday morning i believe uh we just posted the brave episode and we're gonna have um, uh, what's the jump? The Jungle Book is going to be coming out this week, so definitely check that out if you're a Disney fan. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one so much. I, I, I love The Jungle Book. Anyways, thank you again so much for coming on the show. Everybody else, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.